Hello and welcome to Lore Watch, a roundtable freeform discussion about lore in the games of Blizzard Entertainment. I'm Ann Stickney, one of two lore-focused writers on Blizzard Watch, and I've got both of my wonderful co-hosts with me today. First up, he's the other lore-focused writer over on Blizzard Watch. That would be Matt Rossi. Hey, Rossi, how's it going? Uh, <laughs> oh, let's, let's, let's just talk about what games for a while. That, that is what we should do. Okay, that's fine. Uh, we've also got our other co-host with us today. He's another lore aficionado and a shaman columnist as well. That would be Joe Perez. Hey, Joe. Well, hello. Hi. How I, are you doing? I, I've actually been in a good mood because I've had a tiny human to play with. A tiny human? Oh, the new tiny human? The new tiny human. So Aww. I've been spending a lot of time with my, my niece, which is absolutely fantastic. And I've already deposited a whole bunch of nerdy clothing uh, for her, which my sister... Kind As of, you should. <laughs> I, I, she, she looked at very funnily, and my brother-in-law was just like, yes, she'll be wearing these. Thank you. <laughs> good. I hope you got her some good stuff. Anyway. Uh, of course I did. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, um, today we've actually got... I decided to go ahead... Okay. So, Chronicle Volume 3, we talked about that on the last episode. It actually comes out this week, but we don't actually have it in our hands as of yet, so we can't really discuss it in detail. That will be the next episode, I'm pretty sure. So if you have any questions for Chronicle Volume 3 material specifically, go ahead and email those to us at podcast at blizzardwatch.com. Put Lorewatch in the subject line so that we know that it's intended for this show, because we will be going over all of that in two weeks' time. Um, today, however... Guess what? We had a whole mess of other email sitting in the inbox. So I figured, you know what? We should probably dig through some of that. And um, our first email actually isn't World of Warcraft related, which is why I included it, because I was like, yay, we're going to talk about other games just for a little bit. Uh, it's an Overwatch question, and this is from Godzilla, who's a loyal pa patron. Thank you, Godzilla. God. G-A-W-D. Gaud. I don't even know what I'm saying. <laughs> right, regardless. Question says, Hello, Lorewatch. Not to be confused with Overwatch or Blackwatch. I have some questions. Pick your brain thoughts regarding the lore of Overwatch. We've gotten a lot of Talon lore recently between the additions of Sombra, Doomfist, and Moira to the games roster, and it's got me taking a step back and re-examining Talon. Before the revelation that Talon was a council or had a high table, I always kind of assumed that Talon had a singular leader in the form of Blowfield, Claw, or Cobra Commander-like character. So my first question is this, would you prefer that Talon had a singular leader, or do you prefer the idea of the different factions like Reapers, X-Black, watch all of that? Um, now, I don't know how much you two are into Overwatch lore, but I'm just going to let you go. What do you guys think? Would you rather Talon had like one big bad, or do you like the idea of having like a roundtable group? See, First, even if oh, they, oh, uh, even if they had one big bad, it would end up with a bunch of factions anyway. So I kind of like the idea that they're somewhat egalitarian, especially since we have Sombra involved, and we know Sombra's only there because she's trying to unravel a greater mystery. She's like, not really. In ta she's in Talon, but she's not really in Talon. She, she she's works. there because it serves her needs. Yeah, she does contracting basically, and they all know she's not loyal to them. But that's you know all part of the game. She's uh the with her there, and you know she's only involved because she's trying to unravel unravel a deeper mystery. It's possible there is a big bad out there who's ultimately in charge, who's you know responsible for Talon and other stuff. 
Um, there's certainly possibly a linkage to the Omnic Crisis because of that whole map she had going on, the the symbols map she she had. The global conspiracy. Yeah. So I'm, right now I like Talon as it is because it allows Talon to be its own discrete entity and not it, – it takes a little bit of a step away from being actually a G.I. Joe villain. I mean that's – you don't want them to actually be Cobra. That That's not – you know, it, it's fine that they feel a little like Cobra. They have, you know, sort of that, that global terrorist inspiration, but you don't want them to literally be lifted from the comic book. You want Plus them to have Plus, you got all the feel. ninja dudes that infiltrated during the whole recall cinematic thing. Mm-hmm. They felt very G.I. Joe, <laughs> Ninja Squad, <Yeah>. whatever. <laughs> so you want to, like, you want to, like, give them their own identity. Plus, I mean, I, I'm trying to remember the comic that I read it in. I, I don't remember if it's the one where, uh, I think it's the one where Doomfist goes to to the to the casino masquerade. masquerade. Yeah, that one definitely gives you the feel. There's even more factions than these guys. There's 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 there that weird some, Omnic dude. Yeah, there were some pretty interesting characters that we didn't even get a look at. I mean, we got like a panel, but we don't know who they are even really. So yeah, I, I my statement is that I am okay with it as a kind of round table of evil, for lack See, of a better word. And I'm more than okay with it. I actually prefer this. And I, I, I kind of get tired of the whole big bad thing because a big bad gives you the impression that uh, it's just one misguided person or one person, you know, going against the system. But when you have like a council like this, when you have a group that is organizing much in the same way that leaders from the, you know, the, the normal societal factions meet and sort of have like, you know, discussions about what they're going to do next and pick a direction, uh, despite what their individual motivations might be. It gives it more weight almost because there's not just, Oh, I just go and lop the head off the vampire and then all the thralls are free and they can come back to normal society. It, no, not here. And it's it gives it this this depth that, as an organization, I feel a lot of villainous groups in literature and comics and movies lack, uh, because you either have one genius person who has nothing but lackeys, or you have a group of people or a group of individuals that they're working together because what they want at this moment temporarily aligns in such a way that they become a force to be reckoned with. And that's what it feels like here. Like there, there's, there's more individual sort of motivations for each of them. There are different factions like you, like everybody's been saying, and that's cool because what happens when, you know, their goal is accomplished or if it gets accomplished, what happens then? Do they just split up and go their different ways? Uh, does somebody else say, well, okay, now, now it's time for this. And then they, they do all, you know, does it open up a whole new Avenue uh, of battery to happen? And I like that. I like that depth. I like that feeling of it being bigger than one person. And I also like the idea of maybe these groups of people that, that, you know, they don't generally like each other. Maybe, come together to pool their resources to make an impact towards that one goal versus, you know, the stereotypical rich arch villain, like, you know, your, your Blofelds, your, your claws, your Cobra commanders, like they're, they're cool in their own right. They have their place, but this is, this is so much better for me in this particular setting. It makes more sense. See, and I feel like we've gotten an illustration of both of those scenarios. And as a whole, we've gotten a, better look at Talon out of it because Doomfist was that leader at one point in time like he was he was leading Talon and calling the shots until he got taken down 
And you would expect that with a leader taken down like that, okay, cool, everybody scatters to the winds or whatever. That's not what happened. So if anything, Doomfist's capture and his subsequent jail time that he, you know, all that time that he spent in prison, Talon went right along on without him, without any, like, it, it was barely a blip in the radar. And maybe all of those disparate little branches of Talon weren't necessarily working together, but they were still working. It was sort of like Talon, yes, but Talon's also kind of like a Hydra, haha, let's G.I. Joe reference this, why not? Where you cut one head off and it doesn't matter because all of the other heads are still there and possibly more spring up in that leader's absence. So when we saw Doomfist come back in that Masquerade comic, what it felt like to me was he was coming back not to sit at the table or whatever, but he was coming back to try and reestablish that dominance that he had. And I don't Mm. think that he's going to be able to manage it. So I think that there's, I think Doomfist's story in particular is going to be really interesting going forward from here because he's this guy who was in that leadership role and then he had that taken away from him. And when he comes back, that organization that he comes back to is not the same one that he left behind. Like, not even a little. And I don't think that he's quite um, absorbed all of that as of yet. I don't think he's well, had time to absorb all of that as of yet. See, and I think I think it goes deeper than that too, because if you look at anything that we've we've seen produced or, or written or put out there for, you know, Doomfist before he sat at the head of that table, so to speak, he climbed up the ranks through Talon. He wasn't just the de facto leader. It wasn't created under him. Like he, no, it wasn't. He sort of there became a, a driving. Leader. He, beca- he kind of he was. took out the previous leader. Well, he took out his his teacher. He took out his teacher and and like then started becoming this driving force within talent. Right. Like, so I think that's kind of important is like, he sort of wrestled that and gave it a direction. He took that, he took that weapon and gave it a direction to fire at. What I find and interesting though, is might, Doomfist yeah, has yeah. like this Doomfist has this particular ideology of what the world needs to be. And not everybody in talent necessarily agrees with or wants that same thing that he's looking for. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that he was as cognizant of that when he got when he got captured initially as he, was, he is right now the impression i get is that he didn't care more or less like yeah. he he was the he was the biggest bad in the room so to speak at the time so he could make them do what he wanted everything else be darned and i think that's also kind of why when he was captured talon kept going because it wasn't just his right it like, wasn't it was, about him exactly it never it had, was it had maybe grown beyond him before he even got arrested in the first place. I think it, I think it was I, I think the impression that I get from all the stuff that I've read is that it was bigger than him before he sort of sat in that position of power. Like it was already there and established and he just sort of refocused everybody's efforts under the threat of being punched. So, And I mean if we want to go back to Sombra's global conspiracy chart it's obvious there's more at play here than just Talon. Talon is not the singular big bad in the Overwatch universe. There's all kinds of things out there that aren't aren't necessarily under the Talon umbrella, as it were. Hey, umbrella, there's another bad group. Anyway, um, <laughs> <laughs> they just keep popping up. I don't know what to say. Anyway, um, it's it's almost it's kind of obvious that Talon isn't working. 
Talon may be working alone and doing its own thing, but simultaneously there are other groups around the world that are doing exactly the same thing, just through different means. They don't necessarily report to Talon or even acknowledge that Talon exists. They're just doing their own thing. So, I don't know. Well, I, also I feel like there may be, I don't know if there's a singular big bad at the top of this big pyramid of global conspiracy or whatever. Or maybe the global conspiracy is just like these groups are actually working together. We don't know about it or something else. I don't know. Yeah, but I, the point, I, for me, at least, the point is that the possibility exists either way. Mm-hmm. And it's almost better oh, yeah. not to know. But if you wanted to have a singular Doctor Doom at the top of the of the temple, you totally could. Or you could have that's a useful myth that each group could exploit for their own benefit. Or, you know, there's there's plenty of options. We don't know en- enough yet to make a decision one way or the Wouldn't other. Wouldn't you hate to be that guy? The guy that everybody points at and says, oh, yeah, it was all his planning. Well, and that makes know. me wonder, right? Like, that makes me wonder if that was sort of the, the whole reason that Doomfist got hung out to dry in the first place was because let's just pin this on him and then we can go back doing to what we were wanted to be doing because he's a problem. We need to get rid of him. Like, I'm wondering how much of that is in there, too. Well, it seems pretty obvious from the Masquerade comic that the uh, – I'm sorry, I keep forgetting the name of the Omnic that he talks to. Uh, but that Omnic very, very clearly did not – was not necessarily happy Doomfist was back. No, and I can't I can't remember the guy's name either. But, yeah, there was an Omnic there. And the implication when he said – the implication was that, was that he was not alone and not necessarily being super gung-ho about the fact that Doomfist was back. Like, a lot of people had moved on and actually done better without Doom, Doomfist around. So his reappearance was kind of like a, oh, he's back. And there's whoever, this v- there's whoever this Viali guy is. Yeah. Um, he's like, you know, the, the one that when he ordered the assassination of Volskaya mm-hmm. and so forth. And Doomfist is like, you know, he also ordered a hit on Doomfist and Widowmaker. I mean, he was trying to have them killed. So... Oh, and the uh, Omnic's name is Maximilian. Is it just Maximilian? Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Anyway, um, speaking of Widowmaker, the second part of this email has a question about her. Um, second question has to do with Widowmaker. I'm starting to wonder just how much did Talon actually brainwash her? If we go by the Alive cinematic, the reflections in Masquerade comics and the Chateau Gilliard map, I probably just mangled the pronunciation of that. I apologize to French speakers everywhere. It seems there might not be much of a divide between who she was before and who she is now, the Widowmaker personality. We saw her visit Gerard's grave. We see Reaper and Doomfist actually addressing her as LaCroix, not Widowmaker. I can't help but feel there's more to Widowmaker's story than a simple case of Winter Soldier-itis. But I'm wondering what you guys think about that. What do you guys think? think? Do you think Widowmaker is, like, completely brainwashed or... Do you think that those instances, like the the instances where she goes back and she visit, visits Gerard's grave and all of this other stuff, these are just like cracks? In... Doesn't 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 she get really mad if I think Mercy says that you didn't deserve to be with him and she goes, you knew nothing about him or something? Mm-hmm. I'm trying so. to remember the exact exchange. I think so. It was something like that. Yeah. It's possible we haven't heard enough about Gerard that we don't actually know what the relationship was that we've gotten an idealized view of it. And it wasn't so much a brainwashing as it was a giving someone the opportunity to do something. We don't know. I mean, that's the thing we, we know very little. We've never seen them actually interact. We've only read like secondhand or thirdhand reports about it afterwards. Well, the, there's an interesting thing about that too, though. Right. And we, we've talked about this before in the past when we've pointed out like 
um, some of the other shorts that we've seen uh, and videos and, and established things, we've never actually seen like Reaper or, you know, Widowmaker actually like aside from the one target, right? Who else have they killed? Like in they they we've seen like in the short where Reaper's fighting Winston, he very easily could have killed Winston. And he didn't. He shot him in the armor. He knew he knew the armor was going to protect him. He could have shot him in the face. He didn't. Like I I don't know if there was more going on there with Talon and Blackwatch than we we think. And I part of this and this is something that I've been floating around for a while. I can't help but think that maybe Gerard's death wasn't necessarily Talon planned. Like, I'm not entirely convinced that he decided because he was supposed to be spearheaded against the the Talon organization. But if you need to motivate somebody to go after a group with more fire in their belly than they necessarily would have, a death is a great way to do that. Sacrificing, becoming a martyr might be the motivation that they needed. They tried to assassinate him several times over and Gerard kept avoiding it. Um so that's why they turn to his wife. Right, but I want to know like I want to know more about him specifically cuz to see if that would be something in his mindset where it's like they keep trying this, you know, maybe a successful one needs to happen. Like, I don't know. I I'm curious about that. It's kind of an interesting thought. I I I'm going to call it here now. He faked his death. He faked his death. <laughs> Hero number 28. <laughs> Gerard that would be really weird, but also kind of cool and would be really interesting for the whole Widowmaker dynamic thing. He's secret. He's secretly the head of talent, you know. He's, he's <laughs> the guy at the top of the pyramid. It was Gerard all along. Um, one final thought here from Godzilla who says, and we can all agree that Sombra by far is the most nefarious of the talent quintet. Thanks again, Godzilla. Moira experiments on on yeah. people. I mean, no. Yeah. Well, I think I'm, I'm going to go with Moira on this one too. I think I'm with Rossi. <laughs> well, the, the the thing is, is like, okay, there there's a difference here though, because Moira Moira isn't do, performing her experiments or anything out of a willingness to do evil or any particular kind of malevolence or anything. She just wants to do her experiments. And maybe those experiments aren't the most ethical things in the world. So the rest of the world is kind of, the scientific community is kind of like, uh, no, how about we not do that? The reason Moira is okay with Talon is because Talon's like, yeah, sure, we'll go ahead and fund you. We'll let you research whatever the heck you want as long as we get the results. And she's okay with that. She hasn't really got, I don't think that she's really nefarious and or a malevolent entity per se. I think that she's very focused on her science more so than ethics or, you know, whether or not being concerned with the moral implications of what she's doing. So I don't think that Moira really fits the nefarious label. And I don't know if Sombra fits it either. Sombra's Sombra's only there because she's trying to determine the truth about the organizations that may have destroyed everything she ever cared about. I think out of everyone, maybe Reaper. Because Reaper was playing for the good guys and he deliberately flipped. No, it's Doomfist, if we're going to do that. Do, Otherwise, I was say still, Doomfist still... is probably the most nefarious, because he actually actively wants to murder people and incite a war. Yeah, true. True. Yeah, but, I mean, I'm not, ta- I'm not backing down on Moira, because Moira, everything you just said about her doesn't make her less nefarious. It makes her more nefarious, because it makes her more selfish mm-hmm. and more willing to hurt people without even caring. 
She doesn't hurt people because she's evil. She doesn't hurt people because she enjoys their suffering. She hurts people because it doesn't matter to her at all. Yeah, and like, she'd step on you. To it's get not to a person to her. It's a test subject. Yeah, so that's not better. I'm not. No, yeah, it's not, not better. The, but what I'm arguing here is that she doesn't really come from a place of outward malevolence. See, whereas I don't know we about do that have because... people, we do have people in Talon who are very blatantly doing so. Yeah, but, but I, I mean, like, by the definition of the word nefarious, I mean wicked, abominable, impious. Like that, that hits Moira and her experimentation, as far as I'm concerned. I will say this: none of the people in Talon, none of them, are just. <laughs> yes, it's evil time. I mean, that's, no, Doom, I don't think so. Just, yeah, Doom just wants to make a world. He thinks people will get better if he makes the world a place of conflict. He thinks personal strength comes from overcoming conflict. Reaper wants revenge for what has happened to his life, uh, as far as we know, anyway. Uh, Widowmaker, she's kind of emotionless, and talent operations are the best, the closest she can get to feeling alive. At least that's what we've been told. Um, Sombra has very definite reasons for why she's there. And Moira, as you, you laid out Moira's reasonings, nobody's here, just no one here is like evil. You know what I mean? There's no supervillains, there's nobody who just sits in their black cloak cackling. I mean, one of them has a castle. We, we do have one of them that has her own castle. But she doesn't spend time in the castle stroking her pet cat and, you know, plotting evil deeds. I think that's kind it's... of what I appreciate, actually, about Talon and Overwatch in general, is that none of the villains are quite as black and white as you would get in other video game titles. You know what I mean? Like, everybody's got a yeah. motivation to do what they're doing, and maybe that motivation isn't the correct motivation, but it's there. Well, we mentioned before Blofeld, Claw, or Cobra Commander as the leaders of Talon, like the models for it. The reason, another reason, now that we've talked about all this, another reason why I think it's good they don't have one is because then it would be easier for them to have that kind of thing, to have the evil villain masterminding everything for his evil plan. If you've got people with, with goals that are like in opposition, working together on a high council type thing, then you have t con tension and conflict without everything being about someone's evil plan like if you've got I guys just kind like... of appreciate and i mean maybe it's like throwback to warcraft here or whatever i kind of appreciate that we don't have a gul'dan type character here where it's just evil for the sake of being evil well, even gul'dan they they the modern gul'dan the one we have right now yeah, actually they tried is... i mean they tried they were like yeah, yeah he was like kicked around and treated really no, no, badly and everything that's not what i mean though I'm, yeah. I'm not saying that i'm saying he's not evil for the sake of evil he's evil for the sake of power yeah, but it's just that There's, one selfish reason, yeah. and that's it. It's yeah, all it's about still, him. Yeah, it, Gul'dan is still the guy that destroyed his own race and then made Death Knights just because. I mean, <laughs> if murdering a puppy would give him more power, he would absolutely murder that puppy, no questions yeah. asked. But, I mean, you could use that the Talon litmus test. I mean, Moira would kill that puppy in a heartbeat if she'd learned something from it. Oh, yeah. Whereas Sombra wouldn't kill the puppy because there's no way that's going to help her, you know, do, undo the global conspiracy. Reaper is like, why am I killing a puppy? What the heck's the puppy going to The puppy didn't get me here. Widowmaker's like, that's not hard, so I don't want to do it. And Widowmaker is like, would kill the puppy if somebody ordered her to kill the puppy. Yeah, but that's all part of the mission. She's yeah. not going to go out and do it. She's not going to go out and just do it herself. Yeah, and Doomfist would crush the puppy if somehow that was going to cause a global conflict. But otherwise, I don't see it. If it incited war, he would probably crush the puppy. Wow. And now I'm, I'm glad that, that we've... And now I'm thinking of that comic where the Infinity War starts and, you know, Doctor Strange tells Thanos that the last Infinity Stone is inside of a puppy and then John Wick comes onto the, you know, the page. Oh, jeez. <laughs> so. Beautiful. Beautiful. 
two of the people on this chat have puppies, and now at least two of us are probably a little sad. A little bit. It's okay. We brought the puppy analogy in for a reason. Anyway, uh, moving on. We do have more emails. These ones are more Warcraft-related, so let's jump in on those. Uh, First one is from Vesterin, a balanced druid, who says, Hello, Lore Watchers. I'm working on Lore Master and Silverpine, and I recently listened to the Chronicle 3 preview episode. That's the last episode we did. It really brought to mind the similarity between Sylvanas and even some of the NPC quest givers to Arthas and presumably Bolvar and Legion. All of them seem to come to the same solution make everyone undead. Is it just a case of it's tempting if the only tool you have is a hammer to treat everything as if it were a nail? Or is there something in the nature of being undead that shapes your thinking in this manner? If not a Shadowlands entity, some fundamental force at work in the undead. Do the Forsaken and Sylvanas have as much free will as they think they do? Or are they only free to exercise their free will if it tends towards the goals of some greater force? Love the show. Keep up the good work, Vesteren. That's actually a really good point because Sylvanas, it's like her goals kind of align with the same sort of thing that Arthas was doing. And, and you know, that was one of those questions that I had in Cataclysm in particular. Um, not so much in Mist because she kind of fell by the wayside. Same thing in Warlords of Draenor kind of fell by the wayside. But in Cataclysm, there was that kind of the whole issue with the Valkyr and propagating the undead species and making sure they don't die out and all of that other stuff. And it made me wonder how close of a line is she towing to the same ideals that Arthas had? And given what we learned with that Chronicle 3 preview, as far as Arthas and how he viewed the rest of the world, and how he thought, or the Lich King thought anyway, that the Scourge would succeed where mortals or, you know, living creatures would not, it almost blurs that line even further. What do you guys think? Um, I, I've always felt like, it's not just Sylvanas, it, it's Basically, a, a lot of the undead seem to feel this way, like that. And a lot of, I'm honest, I've had arguments with people who play undead who make this argument that you know, well, once you're undead, you're basically unstoppable. You don't, you don't have to worry about aging anymore. You, you don't, you know, you're not going to die because you're already dead. And it's, it's. I think it is to a certain degree. I don't want it to be. There's a greater force making it happen because if there's a greater force making it happen, that's less interesting to me. Like, because then, then we just have the greater force to deal with. And you can argue, well, you can't deal with the greater force, but we just just put Sargeras in a bottle. I think we can deal with any greater force. So that's not as interesting to me as it just being Sylvanas's mindset. Like, being dead means that you look at the world differently. How many times has she said that? Like, she can't feel the same way anymore. And if you look at war crimes, it's even her solution to personal problems. Oh, yeah. My sister is here, and I want to have my sister with me, and I miss my sister, and therefore I'll kill her, and raise her as undead, and then she, you know, everything will be fine. Like that's Sylvanas really does kind of approach the world as a how do how will a bunch of undead make this better, or how will undeath solve this problem? And I do think to a certain degree it is it's rooted in when she started off. It was always what are we if not slaves to this torment? She doesn't say that that much anymore. You know, she's not the Sylvanas who viewed undeath as a curse and hated it. That's not who she is anymore. I don't know if it's just being undead that makes that happen or if it's since you're undead, you tend to look at the world that way. That I can't answer. Well, I think part of it also has to do with the fact that even even with free will, the undead are still looked at as the monsters. It doesn't matter what faction you're in. They're the ones that 
you know, they're not really that trusted even before Wrathgate, right? Even before all that went down, uh, it, it took, and it, when we talked about this last, the uh, last recording, it took an excessive amount of, you know, somebody standing up and saying, yeah, we should let them into our faction because, you know, we should. Uh, and it took a rather high ranking person, somebody who had a lot of clout to even get that on the table for the horde, let alone, you know, trying to go back to their old lives, trying to go back to, you know, the alliance in any capacity and being met with what was most certainly just being dismembered as, as soon as you touched Stormwind, right? Like you look at that, you look at that scenario from that lens and it's like, nobody really wants you there. It doesn't matter how useful you are. I mean, look at all the past interactions we've had between uh, just factions and the the undead period. It's it's always contempt. There's always scoff at them. There's always this distrust. Uh, then you go back to like the Garrosh era of things. He, you know, assigns somebody to watch her and her people and has guards all over the place because straight up doesn't trust her doesn't trust her people and i get that so at that point if you're looking at it and this and this i think plays into the whole she doesn't feel or think like she used to but if you're the monster what's the easiest way to stop being the monster by everybody being the same type of monster that you are and it accomplishes that goal of of you know replication essentially of of making sure that the legacy of your race goes on because at this point she views it as a race not a curse it is a people it is a race to her and pushing that forward if everybody is undead nobody can you know view her as the monster and she has now secured the legacy of her people for the future so i'm i'm i don't think it's i mean how do i phrase this i would be upset if it was somebody else actually pulling the strings i really would because I think she's one of the more complicated, interesting characters that we have in the entire story of Warcraft. And I would hate for that just to be, yep, she was the puppet the, t- the entire time. I think I like the idea of her, I like the idea of it just being a complicated viewpoint, and that's her solution because it's so complicated. I think, and I'm going to go back to what Rossi said, where she doesn't ask, what are we, if not slaves to this torment? Like, she doesn't ask that question anymore. I feel like she spent the early days of World of Warcraft and even like the end of Warcraft 3 coming up with an answer to that question. And the question or the answer is we are a force to be reckoned with. And that's what she's been trying to prove all this time, like build up her forces, you know, get more land, get more whatever, prove prove her people's worth to the Horde, however, whatever form that took. And then from there, prove her worth to the rest of the world. Um, And I don't, I mean, obviously I don't agree with her methods of doing it because making everybody undead, just not a good idea. I mean, I think we can all agree. That's just not a good idea. Not everybody's interested in that. Um, I find it interesting, though, and I'm kind of looking forward to Before the Storm because it feels like this this, uh, question is being explored more. But um, I know... Rossi, you were saying, you know, you're undead, you could be a powerhouse, whatever. Like, people say that. They're like, you could do whatever, it doesn't matter anymore because you're undead. Mm-hmm. Okay, my Forsaken character, I do have a Forsaken character that I have role-played for eh, on and off since vanilla, really. Um, my Forsaken character has no interest in ruling the world, making anybody undead, or doing anything else of that kind. What my Forsaken would like to do more than anything else is go to sleep and not wake up. And actually you know die like she was supposed to 
she wasn't supposed to come back. It was very embarrassing that she did, and she's not happy about it. And it feels like in that little preview that we got of Before the Storm that there are a faction of Forsaken who would very much like to just stop and sleep and rest and and do that thing that they were supposed to do when they lost their lives way back in the Third War. Um, well, I mean, you've got the Desolate Council, so yeah. you've got support for that viewpoint now. Yeah, that's that's why the Desolate Council thing really interested me when I read that excerpt, was I was like, oh, okay, we are going down that path, because there are two different paths that you can go with the Forsaken. These guys have free will. So yeah, there's part of them that, that's going to be like, yes, let's let's continue to propagate and, and make sure that we don't die out and let's prove ourselves to the world that we're not the monsters that they portray us to be. Uh, all of that. And Joe, I like that idea where it's like you want to make the rest of the world monsters because once they're monsters, that's the new normal and you're not a monster anymore. That's actually really good. <laughs> it's a good <laughs> thought. Good, good line of thought there. But the other line of thought is we were supposed to be dead and that cycle got interrupted and we were torn from it and we would like to resume that cycle in whatever form that takes and I don't think that that side of the Forsaken has really been explored because I guarantee you that there are people there who have been kicking around since the days of Lordaeron and they remember Lordaeron oh do they remember it they remember what it was like they remember when King Terranus was there. They remember when it was like the height of the human kingdoms. It was it was the one that everybody looked up to. And then it wasn't. But they still are. And they don't like it. So every day when you're in the Undercity and you go upstairs and you go into the ruins of Lordaeron, you don't see the ruins of Lordaeron. You see what it was. And you regret that it's gone. And I don't think that that side of the Forsaken has really been explored as much. Um, Sylvanas can't really explore it because Sylvanas wasn't part of it. She was a high elf. Mm -hmm. She was from Kel'Thuvas. So the most that we've seen out of her is that bit in War Crimes, which was absolutely genius, by the way, the bit where she got back together with Marisa. And there was that whole moment shared between them. Uh, Christy Golden wrote that brilliantly. Like that whole subplot was popcorn. (laughs) Anything that she wants to write with Sylvanas, I am 100% behind because she she has the understanding of that character like down to a T. But it's that other part of being forsaken. It's not just about Sylvanas, who is this former high elf from places far away. The majority of the forsaken are these people that were once living and proud and, and, and noble residents of Lordaeron. You know, they aren't anymore. How do they feel? So... I'm kind of interested in seeing what happens in before the storm on that front. Um, I don't know if there's like, I don't think that there's a driving force or a thing that's like controlling the undead or whatever. I do like the implication that there's something in the nature of being undead that shapes your thinking towards everything else needs to be undead too. And well, you know what just came to mind? What? They pretty much all the undead were created by a plague Mm -hmm. of undeath. Plagues want to spread. Yep. And it's a magic plague. It's not just, you know, your average disease. And it was, you know, it was made... The, originally, when the, when the Lich King came to Azeroth, he didn't use the Plague of Undeath. He used his own raw necromantic power. He told Kel'Thuzad to make the plague. There were earlier versions of that plague that dated all the way back to the War of the Ancients. Yeah, but it, it's Kel'Thuzad who was given the plague to make. When, Kel, yeah. when, when, when uh, the Lich King actually arrived, he didn't use it. He yeah. used himself. 
So that's interesting because if you think about it, that means that every forsaken might still be seen as a plague is a, is a disease vector. They, you know, they might still want to spread it. The thing is that Sylvanas wasn't converted via the plague. No, she was a banshee and then she wasn't. And the thing about that is that she was raised as a banshee by Arthas's direct power. And Arthas was at that time carrying around Frostmourne. So he was using the Lich King's power. So that's an interesting wrinkle in it too. It, it, that actually, I really like that. I mean, I hate to compare it to something else, but one of my favorite, um, not overly done zombie things is a, a series of books called the, the News Flesh trilogy, and in there it explains how you know sort of that 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 contagion, that disease, um, spread, and it acts just like bacteria, just like virus, and that's what drives you know, the need to, of these, these things that, that fall into this undead category to bite. It's not, it's not that they're hungry. It's not that they want to eat. It's that the, the microbes inside of them are driving them saying, spread me. I need to go other places, spread me. And they're using sort of the, the resurrected body as for lack of a better term, a vessel, a vector to get that done. Um, I like the idea that maybe that's part of it where the undead body is just the younger for the virus. Kind of. Yeah. Where we're in, in, in looking at it from the, the Lich King's necromantic power. I mean, we've seen that that power once directed, and this goes for all spells and, and rituals that we've seen throughout Warcraft. Once it's directed, it keeps going like it until it fulfills its purpose. Look at, look at Illidan with his, you know, opening up that little gateway and, and, you know, going through space and time. Uh, it had a very clear purpose direction even when they describe it in the illidan novel as it's weaving its way through the the twisting nether it's following a directive that was given to it at the onset of the spell well even the plague has its roots based in that sort of magic as well so even though kelthazad created a plague it's still a magic plague so i'm wondering if it still has sort of that that intelligence in it that was given to it by the lich king way back when that that'd know. be interesting. I like I I like that idea. So Vesterin, I don't know if we actually like answered your question, answered your question, but hey, you got a lot of chatter out of it. <laughs> I always like talking about Sylvanas. Anyway, and and the Forsaken. I find the Forsaken really fascinating. Anyway, uh, next question here is from Belnora from Emerald Dream, who says, "Hello, Lore Watch. I had a disagreement with someone on Reddit." Of course you did. Everybody always does. That's what happens on Reddit. <laughs> Hold on. I'm going to go give uh, Bell Norris some karma here. Go for it. Anyway, <laughs> over two intertwined points on Demon Hunters. They were the, the points. They were the existence of non-Illidari affiliated Demon Hunters and the presence of Demon Hunters during the Third War in general. They argued, the other person argued, that there is only one example of the first point, Ilsana Ravencrest, and that the new lore around Demon Hunters and Legion does not leave room for Demon Hunters to exist in the Third War. I argued that the presence of the Demon Hunter hero unit proved both points, that Demon Hunters did participate in the Third War, and that they were independent of Illidan. What do you guys think? Have Demon Hunters in the Third War been retconned out of existence thanks to legion thanks bill nora well no, we've got more they... than one demon hunter because there's uh what's his name out there in the blasted lands yeah yeah oh, oh, i know what you're yeah. talking about i just did that quest his name and i can't remember his laura laura lord lorpetamos oh god I just it's lore something or other and it's not lorthamar which is where my brain is going to and it's not that but yeah he's another one 
So, I mean, and he's been around since Vanilla, like before we even had Bruning Crusade. He Lorimus Thalapides. Thank you. You're welcome. Okay. Anyway, um, yeah, he's been around since Vanilla, and he had no affiliation with Illidan because obviously he wasn't on Outland or anything like that. He was there on Azeroth doing his thing. Um, I don't know. I'm going to let you guys talk this out. What do you Go guys think us. as far as... Get for a stab at this. Do you think that Legion has has like negated the instance of earlier demon hunters or no? I'm not sure that I agree that that guy had nothing to do with Illidan, so I can't really answer it. Ooh. I have to actually go, go look on. that guy up. Go on. Well, I don't know that that guy didn't have anything to do with Illidan. All demon hunters had something to do with Illidan. They, originally, it was stated that they, the ones that existed way back in the day were copying him. Whether or not they were copying him by him helping them or not, they were copying him. Mm-hmm. So... They had something to do with Illidan. Uh, so it was not... less about, but it may have been less about. Oh, Illidan is teaching these guys. Because when did he have room to teach anybody? Yeah, he was in a he was in a hole in the ground for ten thousand years. The yeah. only time he would have had to teach anybody was right after. So do you think that yeah. maybe these guys are an instance of people just taking Illidan cosplay a little bit too far? Maybe I don't know if I would say cosplay, but <laughs> there's a there's another side to that that could possibly be a thing too. Because I mean. Demons have this wonderful way of trying to corrupt whatever uses their power, right? Like they, whatever calls on them. And there's nothing that says that maybe they didn't whisper in a warlock's ears like, Hey, you know, this is a thing you could do and it would give you so much more power in an attempt to like finally corrupt them and use them for whatever purposes. So, I mean, I think there, there is a precedence where it could have potentially happened without Illidan's, uh, sort of intervention, direct intervention, and I believe that they could have existed prior to Legion just as easily as you know they do now. Um, I although like... I, I should I should throw out that even Lorimus uh, Thalapides, by the way, um, has been retconned in the game to be part of the Illidari. Oh, has he? Okay, he yes. wasn't retconned; he was recruited. Uh, I don't well... actually say he was always a member of the Illidari. Go... They say that he they they find the uh, he ended up in the twisting nether and then they go and get him. I mean that's not he's he's recruited. It, no one actually says he was always a member one way or the other. It's never stated. I feel the stone like with him with him and perhaps with others that may or may not have taken up that mantle. I mean we do have the hero units. We have the demon hunter hero units, and I don't think that Legion necessarily negates them. I think that. With characters like Lorthmus, Lorathmus, how do you pronounce his name? Lor- Lorimus. Lorimus, thank you. With Lorimus, I, I want to stick a TH in there. I don't know why. <laughs> I'm blaming Lorthamar. Anyway, uh, with Lorimus, I, I feel like with him and with any of those other demon hunters, it wasn't necessarily a matter of Illidan training those guys as it was they saw Illidan as an example, as, as somebody to look up to, as somebody with a heck of a lot of power, and said, yeah, we need people like that around. And I mean, they stuck him in a hole for 10,000 years. So somebody else has got to step up and do it. Maybe they agreed with him. Maybe they agreed with that assessment where he said, yeah, we need this second well of eternity because that burning legion is going to come back at some point. And when it does, we need people that are capable of dealing with them and we need the power to deal with them. And the only way we can do that was, you know, with the second well of a... Maybe maybe it was just a matter of they were following his example. Um, I do know that whenever anybody mentioned demon hunters, like, in-game, there was this implication that demon hunters were things that 
people did not approve of. The night elves were not cool with the idea, and night and night elf demon hunters, if they did exist anywhere, they were not looked at favorably at all. Um, yeah, like you, you have a lot of people who who sought out Illidan mm-hmm. after after the Third War, and they ended up following him to Outland. Yeah, like Alandian, for instance, example. She was one of them. Yeah, they have a bunch of those. I. I I, I don't know where I read this, and I, I'm worried I might have read it in the RPG, which would make it not canon anymore. Sadly. But um, one of the things I remember reading was that there were people who basically uh, – cosplaying feels a little diminutive, but they basically – like they'd lost everything too, and they had no one to, to emulate because Night Elf Society wasn't interested in – like hunting down every pocket of demons everywhere in the world. It was trying to rebuild after the world got destroyed. So these really ancient night elf ones who might include, you know, people like Lorimus went out and did it themselves. Like altruist, the sufferer is another example of someone who might've actually gone out and done it himself. Um, I don't know if they ever actually established where he came from. I don't like think you, they did. You, yeah. You meet him in outland and he's like, Oh yeah. Illidan's nuts. Well, he does like, come in in the demon hunter storyline though. Yeah, he yeah, does. he is. He's he's one of the two options you can choose to be in charge. Yeah, but th- that doesn't mean he started as one of the Illidari. It, it means there's there's a lot there's a lot of this stuff where you don't know. And well, that's interesting to me. I I would argue that they that the very fact that Ilyana Raven Ravencrest exists, Ilsana, sorry, he, he how did she become a demon hunter? Did he teach her? Well, I, I think I think the idea of of applying the label to it though is really what what sort of sticks it right because even even in the metamorphosis of Illidan through the con- the consumption of the school of Gul'dan, he knew about consuming that sort of energy prior to becoming a real demon hunter, right? Like before going full off, you know, wings metamorphosis and becoming the demon, et cetera, et cetera. Like that sort of thing had been around for a while, or at least the knowledge of the ability to do that, to, to sort of ingest the magic or the ability or the power of something or some entity into yourself. Um, even if you want to go, you know, just the idea of warlocks or whatever like that, they had metamorphosis before demon hunters did. Um, so if you want to look at it in that context, it is very well within the realm of possibilities that other mages, other warlocks, other beings that have sort of that arcane acumen uh, that Illidan had uh, may have seen what he did and think, oh, I could do that for myself and went and sought those items. And since the the War of the Ancients, like, there's plenty of opportunity to find things demons touched and sort of suck in that power if you really wanted to do it. And I mean, I... Azeroth is scarred with this stuff. You can yeah. go to... Th- you go to the Felwoods and just, oh, this rock was once eaten by this demon lord. Sweet, into me your power goes. Like, that's not outside of the realm of possibilities. I, I want to go back to Ilisana, um, because there were some, like, hast- hastily scrawled pages and things that yeah. indicated what happened with her. And I just wanted to read this excerpt from Wowpedia that I found on her. Um it said that she searched for a way to strike back at the Legion and make them suffer as she had, and in doing so realized while Illidan was cold and arrogant, he was right in that fighting the demons meant making sacrifices. But in the wake of Cortalos's death, Illidan had vanished with rumors among the resistance saying he had died, and others saying he had betrayed them to the demons. But confident that he was still on their side and working in the shadows, Ilsana left to go find him and walk in his foot- footsteps. Ilsana eventually became a demon hun- hunter and was locked up at the Vault of the Wardens in the aftermath of the war the ancients so you know what's going on with that yeah it's was was she locked up ten thousand years ago 
Yeah, because it like, says she was freed 10,000 years later along with the Illidari who'd been captured on Mardum by Amaya of Shadowsong. Yeah, so she wasn't an Illidari. No. And she was a, she made, became a demon hunter 10,000 years ago, which would have meant one of two things. Either she self-taught herself by copying what Illidan had done. She said, or, it says that she walked in his footsteps. Yeah. To me, that implies that, that implies that she basically followed what he did. Yeah, which the problem with that is that she couldn't go and give Sargeras rip out her eyes because, well, he, he, well, wasn't, he doesn't do yeah, that. The note, I mean, the note in the note, she says, Illidan is still on our side. He's working from the shadows to uncover the Legion's weaknesses. No matter how questionable his methods may be, they are necessary. I go now to find him to walk in his footsteps and learn what I can about our enemy. Where this path will lead, I do not know, but I will do whatever I must to avenge my father and save our race from extinction. If you wish to do the same, come find me. So it's possible he was teaching people right like at, during the War of the Ancients. It's possible he was teaching people while doing the war itself. Or well, she just followed what he did and learned more about it and well, found her own way into the path of the demon hunter. She's an interesting case, too, because of her position, right? She would have had access to, one, the Moon Guard, which were incredibly powerful sorcerers in their own right. She would have had access to the priestesses of Elune, so she would have had... She would have been able to freely go between all these different groups, which means... After the Illidan thing, and this, and I'm just thinking of like the scenario with Illidan, where he had all of these, you know, the Moon Guard channel their power into him. She knew about that. She was privy to that information in one way or another. So, I mean, seeing that that was possible, she could have very easily tracked down the rest of the information she needed to do this her darn self. Yeah, but here's like, here's a question though. Here's something to think about. How common was the knowledge that Illidan had betrayed the uh, the the Kaldari and been locked up? Did the average did did people know it other than like the people at the very top? I don't think like, so. I think because so, I mean the implication is that you know there are kind of rumors about his disappearance and and rumors about his whereabouts. I mean that's what it says in Ilsana's letter. She says yeah. that rumors spread concerning his whereabouts. So if it wasn't known like one hundred percent known, there were at least rumors that he had been locked away. Now, keep in mind, too, that the, the, uh, the, the Wardens did not keep Illidan in the Vault of the Wardens. No, he was kept in the Barrow Dens. Yeah, which is less secure. Mm-hmm. Is it possible she got down to see him? She had the privilege to do so, I'm sure. I mean, being the daughter of, of Ravencrest, I mean, he was not exactly a slouch. And it's not like, I mean, I'm not saying she got to free him, obviously, but could, no, but she have, have talked. Really? Would the wardens this? have allowed something like that, though? That's a qu- good question. Would they have? Could they I, have? Mm, this is I, all. I, this is all stuff. Because they that were we don't pretty gung ho about not letting Taronda in there, and Taronda was the leader of the of the night yeah, elves. Taronda was straight up there to free him, though. Well, she yeah, was, that too. She, she, and she straight up like. Toronto being Toronto, she didn't like go in and say, "Oh, can I see Illidan for a second? I need to talk to him." She, she was like, like "Hey, you, yeah. y'all need to let him go." And they were like, yeah, "What? No!" <laughs> she swanned in the door like, hey, "I'm in charge. Get out of the way." Uh, Ilsana, being less Taronda, might have come in and said, "You know, he was my father's commander of the Moon Guard. I need to know what he knew about my father." You know, was there an was there a Hannibal Lecter type meeting where he, you know, he whispered secrets to her that she later on later acted on? I mean, there's a lot here. And I'm not saying that's what happened. I'm just saying there's there's a lot here to determine. Did that ever happen with anybody else? 
Did any wardens ever leave the service of the wardens and then no one ever saw them again? There's a lot going on here. Well, and then you also have to keep in, keep in mind, too, that, like, uh, depending on where he was located, where were the wardens mainly focusing their attentions? Was it on the vault? What did they actually have in the Barrow Dens to, to really watch over him? And in times of war or strife, in times of great need, did they say, okay, his prison will hold. We can kind of bounce for, you know, to go deal with this over here real quick, you know, or to go maybe hunt down another, you know, threat that needs to be held down in the, to, to the vaults or whatever, you know, in these windows of opportunity, who's to say who went down there or who didn't? I'm kind I just of wondering if we'll hear any about anything about any of this in, in Chronicle Volume 3, because that does cover the Third War. And what we're talking about here is that in Warcraft 3, there was a Demon Hunter hero unit. Yep. Mm-hmm. Like, it was there. It was there. You got to play it. Does the stuff, the lore that they introduced in Legion, negate that? And... We don't have the answer for that question, Belnora. I'm sorry, but we don't. There's just not enough evidence either way. There's there's evidence on both sides, but there's no real 100%. Nobody's come up and said, yeah, none of that is applicable anymore. Like, yeah, it, it hasn't existed. been. Yeah. The closest we've got is Loramis because he existed yeah. in Azeroth before in... uh, the Burning Crusade. And he didn't have the tattoos. Throw yeah, that out he there. He didn't have the tattoos. And he still did demon huntery stuff. I mean, Ilsana obviously was only created for Legion. I mean, we know she obviously existed ten thousand years ago in lore, but at the time she didn't. Like we we didn't have her until this expansion. But Loramus has been in the game forever, so it was obviously intended that there was at least one if demon Loramus hunter. Has... Ever met up with Ilsana? That's another good question. We don't know how Loramus got to be a demon hunter at all. Mm-mm. So and it's he's entirely... not talking. <laughs> Yeah. So, I don't. So, I mean, to get back to the original question, though, that there is definitely the possibility that this all existed beforehand, and I don't feel that anything in Legion contradicts that or invalidates anything that existed prior to Legion. I really don't. I think that the possibility is still very, very much there. To be clear, the only thing that Blizzard has come out and said, "Yeah, we retconned this," is. The RPG books. And those mm-hmm. weren't even retcons so much as none of this that's in here should be taken as canon unless we make it canon. So all of that stuff sort of exists in a in a side space. And every once in a while you'll see Blizzard pull something from it and go, yeah, okay, we'll make that bit legit. But not everything in those RPG books is, is legit. However, events that happen in Warcraft 3, Warcraft 2... Those are canon. Yeah, those have all been supposedly those are all canon um i don't there's there hasn't been any announcement or any anything about those being stricken from the record so i'm kind of hoping that maybe chronicle 3 because chronicle 3 does involve that time period of the third war maybe it'll talk about demon hunters but i don't know because chronicle 3 is also covering all the way up through cataclysm so there's a lot of material there and they might not go into as much detail as we would like them to um, sorry, that's kind of a non-answer, but um, it hasn't been proven or disproven either way. <laughs> uh, okay, so I think we got time for one more email here. Yeah, I think we do. Sure. All right. Uh, this one is from Jonathan, who says, "Hi, I have a question about the future of demons 
since we're on the demon topic, we might as well just keep going. Uh, future of demons after the events of Legion. With Argus freed, is it right that demons can no longer be resurrected using its world soul? If so, how can warlocks keep summoning their demons when they die? Are we like a mini Argus resurrecting demons ourselves? Another point. What's the future for most of the demons who served in the Burning Legion now? Surely the loss of their leaders and immortality will cripple them going forwards and will limit the power warlocks can now exercise. Many thanks for your time, Jonathan. We have a problem with Legion and Argus in in that even in Chronicle and even at the beginning of Legion, it's established that Sargeras made Mardum to imprison demons because he couldn't kill them permanently. Mm -hmm. He'd kill them and they'd go back to the Twisting Nether and then they'd come back. It so feels we had to like make Argus do. was just created as a way to like facilitate that quicker or something. I don't know. As well as... I actually had a thought about that. Yeah. Um, and my thought was based on the idea that, yes, demons can return to the Twisting Nether and eventually reincorporate. But as you pointed out, we don't know how long it takes. Another thing is, is demons can't seem to just come through to our universe whenever they want. Like, oh, they have to they, be pulled they, in. They're stuck in the nether. If they, if you kill a demon in your world, it gets stuck in the nether. It can't come back out. Uh, the Legion, however, if you can centralize the place they all go, like if you, you use Argus's world soul, you tie it to the Antorus, and now all demons go to Antorus, well, we happen to have some nifty portals right here to send you to other worlds. Well, I think the other thing, though, the two to keep in mind about that is that, I mean – it's a planet that exists in the material realm, right? Like it's, yeah, it's void touched, but it's not, it's not out of phase with the rest of reality. So all it was, was a lightning rod bringing them back in and not essentially letting them go to the twisting nether, or at least to me, well, because that's it would the snatch problem. them. Right? Ooh, I like the idea of a lightning rod. I was just questing out in blades edge like a few weeks ago. And you know how they have those little, those little, well, they're kind of like lightning rods and they pull in the spirits. Yeah. Yeah, oh, kind of like the, that. Yeah, the ethereals were doing it. Yeah, well, the ethereals and, were doing it up in Blade's Edge. You had to like, you had to kind of intercept it. But... but that's what we do. We have so many quests that do that too. Like as a shaman yeah. specifically, like I have like fourteen years of quests that I'm you know in, in sucking either the spirit out of something or keeping a spirit from going to something or, or moving it on to its other destination through totems and physical manifestations. So the idea that the you know Antorus and Argus in general became a physical like funnel. that soul engine was funneling, yes. like it intercepting was, demon spirits before they could get back to the twisting nether. So they never, so they never actually went into the twisting nether and had to be reformed out. Where it was like, well, it, come over here instead, and we'll reform you here, and it's probably going to hurt a lot, and you're going to hate it, but that's okay. We don't care. There's you're actually a like a there's a quest on Argus when you're doing the yeah. Argus quests. You kill a demon on Argus, and immediately. You're told that that demon will be returning to to um, I want to say Argus. Antorus. Not, yeah, Antorus. you're told that the demon will immediately be returning to Antorus, where it will be tortured for a while before it's allowed to reincorporate. It's that Shivara rare that's like right in that first area that you pop into yeah. when you go to Argus. Yeah, and that that leads to a couple of things. First off, where did you kill kill Jaden again? In the Sunwell. No. In the Sunwell. Oh. Wait, no. not in the Sunwell. No. <laughs> you're talking about the other kill Jaden. <laughs> fight there's yeah. been so many of them <laughs> specifically the no not in the nether no in a ship above argus yeah oh that's right because at the end of the fight he yeah yeah, yeah no that that is correct right above argus Do you think the soul now, engine managed to turn him through before we destroyed it though here's another question though where did we kill archimond 
Mm. We killed Archimonde and the Hell in Hellfire Citadel, not even the Citadel itself, and Hellfire Peninsula, Tanan Jungle on the okay, other adrenaline. But but in the mythic version of that encounter he kinda of transports you to the twisting nether, doesn't he? He does not die there. Oh that's right. No, he, he does has, like his final there. breath is right there on Hellfire Citadel. Yeah, he he sends uh Goldon into the nether. Oh god, himself... don't tell me those guys aren't really dead and we're gonna see him come back again. Come on. <laughs> the argument has been made. The argument was made that they're both really dead because the places they died on were completely saturated with fell energy and thus acted as if they were the twisting nether. But we have that quest on Argus mm-hmm. where the demon dies and is, instead of going to the nether or dying permanently, is said to be reincarnated on, Ar- on in Ar- oh, I want to say Argus. Of, in Antorus. Antorus. If, this, if, okay. this, if Antorus is acting as like a lightning rod for these demonic spirits, souls, I guess they aren't really souls. Cause do, do demons have souls? I don't know. That seems like the subject of a novel. Uh, anyway, how long does it take it? Once they get to Antorus, like I mean, if it in, if it cuts down that process, cool. But how much does it cut that process down? Well, it seems to see the indication seems to be that it takes however long it takes for Sargeras to have you tortured for failing. Yeah, because that's what they say he'll be tortured for failing. It's said several times. But there's the other thing about it. What if Antorus meant that if you killed a demon in the Nether, it still got to come back? Because if Argus counts because it's so fell-infused that dying there would kill you, that demon shouldn't be able to come back. But it, they straight up say, she'll be back. And I, so and I, there's, there's a lot of possibilities to what's going on here. We need to have something that establishes. There, there is another option, though, too, and this that directly ties in with Warlocks as, possi- as a possible answer to this as well. So what if it wasn't acting like a lightning rod and Antorus was literally just reaching into the twisting nether and pulling them out of it, torturing them and then putting them back into the physical plane. And the reason I say that is because when warlocks summon demons, now they are literally opening portals. Um, they're they're. I've spent a lot of time watching this animation, which is cool. Don't get me wrong, but like they're literally ripping open portals into to wherever these demons are and summoning them forth. Um, when the imps come through, when anything comes through, that's what they're doing. They're acting as sort of a channel, a conduit. Uh, Maybe that's for them why to those demons are okay with like working under the warlocks because exactly. they pop out of that portal and they go, "Hey, at least I'm not in Antorus." <laughs> or, or, or I'm not in the twisty nether anymore. I'm not in the queue to be pulled in Antorus and be and be you know tortured or whatever the case is, but. Maybe that's how Antorus worked more than just being a lightning round to capture them before they left. Maybe it's they did hit the nether. And because Argus is so felon infused, it was easier for Antorus to pull them out of the nether, shove them through the the torture device and reprogramming for failure and then spit them back out into the reality because it sort of existed as this bridge between the two. And then they can go forth and do whatever they need to do for the Legion and warlocks are sort of, I don't want to say, they're, they're, they might be many versions of that where they can sit there and say, okay, well, I need, you know, a Voidwalker. I know where they hang out in the nether. Let me just open up this portal, rip it open. Yeah, you, you, right over there. Yeah, squeak squad, come here. And like, you well, here, know, set them here's out. The thing to, here's the thing to think about. Uh, there's a boss in in Argus that we all know, uh, name of Varimothras. Yep. When you fight Varimothras, he's being tortured in Antorus. Mm-hmm. For yep. his failures, exactly the process we've had described. So he's clearly physically there. He's not. He's not as some kind of disembodied demon spirit. He's there physically. 
and they have tortured him physically. They've they've messed him up. If you look at him, he looks bad. Uh, and he has some things to say about the world. So he's been aware of what's going on in Azeroth the whole time. He knows about Sylvanas being in charge of the Horde. Despite him being in Antorus being tortured, he's up on what's going on. So what is Antorus? So even if they torture you, even if you're being tortured, they at least, you know, give you a break to catch you up on current events is what we're learning <laughs> yeah. here. Or, or his well, buddies came in. Like in between torture them. sessions, they come in with a newspaper and read you the latest. <laughs> or that's part of the torture. Like, Maybe. you know, oh, and by, by the way, that, that female that bested you twice. Oh, she's in charge of the entire horde now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's how badly you failed. Rub, oh, rub their nose in it. Yeah, so there's... Antorus is a here's strange my, place. Here's Antorus, my thought, though. universe's largest warlock. See, here, here's my thought on this, though. If Kil'jaeden and Archimonde were pulled back into the whole Argus soul engine thing, whatever, I don't feel like that they would be treated very kindly upon their return, nor would their uh, resurrection be expedited or anything, because look at how bad they messed up. And how many times they messed up. I mean, look at Veramothras. He, he, you know, he had the snot beaten out of him, but what did he do? And then look at the scope of what he did compared to the scope of what Kil'jaeden failed at and what okay. Archimonde failed at uh, several times over. Kil'jaeden's failure is complicated, too, by the fact that Kil'jaeden was flat out disrespectful to Sargeras. Oh, absolutely. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. And not just... Not just to him, not just vocally to him when they were talking over the the you know green gluey thing. He he even said stuff like, "Now I shall do what Sargeras shall, could not." This was a guy who, who Kil'jaeden was, was gunning to yeah. lead the Burning Legion. So he, my thought has always been, what if he didn't go back to our to Antorus because he didn't die because well, this whole thing has been him figuring out a way to get rid of Sargeras the whole time. I feel like Kil'jaeden is absolutely dead dead. And the reason that I feel like Kil'jaeden is absolutely dead dead is because Velen gave him the holy boop. Sure. Archimonde, I I think that there's potential, but Kil'jaeden was blown to smithereens by the light. But I just have to say, isn't he he the deceiver? I mean, this could have been a part of his play on the entire time. I don't think so. For me, Kil'jaeden... Kil'jaeden is the Xanatos slash Doctor yes. of WoW. He totally so is. Wow. I think it's it's theoretically possible. I whatever you think though, I don't think we're going to see the, the Legion's future for the next couple expansions is to do nothing. We will hear yeah, nothing like about that. them. We won't see them because we got other stuff to deal with, and we just gave them an entire two. This is their second expansion, guys. They got Warcraft three, and then they got two WoW expansions. We kicked They've their butts their up and down, yeah. Argus. So yeah. This this has been their time. They got their time. They got to be on stage. They got to be the most threatening menace, uh, you know, that Azeroth has ever seen. And now they're going to recede back. And yeah. what we won't see or hear them for a while. We're not going to we're not going to suddenly make warlocks or demon hunters less effective. That's not going to happen because that's not cool to people who chose to play those classes. But see, we're I not going to hear Legion for a while. I think the only part of Legion we might hear from is going to be the Nathrazim, if anything. And that's only because moving forward, I think the story is shifting more towards Void. And I think that that you can't really have Void without creatures that worship at the Void. And since the Nathrazim don't have to report to the Burning Legion so, anymore, exactly. they're free to do all of their crazy, creepy stuff. Yeah, yeah. I think, that th- I think that thread will still get pulled, but I agree with Rossi that I think everything else on Legion, their time is done. We might get little pe- bits and pieces here and there that are relevant, but... 
it's not going to be quite the focus. I would expect to see a Scourge expansion before I saw the Legion come back. Yeah. I'm going to bring this back full circle before we wrap up the show here, and I'm going to say that the future for most of the demons that served in the Burning Legion is much like the future of Talon once Doomfist was locked up. Doomfist was locked up, but Talon continued on in several disparate little parts here, there, and everywhere, but it kept right on going. And I don't think that we're done with demons altogether just because the Burning Legion, just because we got rid of Sargeras. There are still demons out there. They might not be united under one banner, but they're still out there. And I'm sure that we're still going to be dealing with them every now and again, just not in the collective manner that we saw in the Legion expansion. Anyway, that wraps us up for emails. Uh, Blizzard Watch is made possible due to the generous contributions at patreon.com slash blizzardwatch. And your continued support means that this podcast site and community is able to thrive and grow. Blizzard Watch supporters enjoy exclusive benefits like early access to the podcast, a better chance at having your question answered on our podcast or the queue, and an ads-free site experience. And for you guys, listeners of Blizzard Watch and Lore Watch, Audible's offering a free audiobook download with a free 30-day trial to give you the opportunity to check out their service. They've got a bunch of Blizzard's titles as well as a a ton of other titles as well and you can pick any one of those for your free audiobook download highly recommend it um the illidan book in particular is probably one worth checking out if you want to know more about demon hunters and that kind of thing uh you can download those on audible by signing up for that 30, free 30-day trial at blizzardwatch.com audible and you also help support the show we appreciate that Okay, final thoughts, you guys, and I'm going to final thought with something that we didn't actually bring up during the show, but it was something that I noticed this week. Uh, One of the reviews slash excerpts for Chronicle Volume 3 mentioned that this was going to be the final entry in the Chronicle series. Do you guys think we need another one? Joe? Need? I mean, need's a strong word. Want? I mean, I will never say no to, to more stories, but that said... I kind of understand where this could potentially be the final because it brings us more or less up to current. Uh, and at that point, if everything keeps getting explained to death, then how are we going to tend foil had anything? Okay. Rossi, what do you think? I think it can stop here and nothing, nothing horrible will happen because, you know, as Joe pointed out, we're essentially caught up to the modern day. And if they leave it a little vague, it means they can put more stuff in later. Uh, I definitely think in 10 years we might need another one. I mean, they've generated oh, a yeah. ton of lore over the past few years, so. But we'll see what happens. Uh, I'm okay with it ending here, uh, but I would, you know, I'm not exactly the right person to ask, though, because I'm sitting here thinking, what? Well, you could do an entire book about this. It's like, no, Matt, no. They they need to stop. They need to keep, they can't keep. I If I were up to me, Chronicle 3 would have just been the third war, <laughs> you know? I mean, I I. I I am not the right person to be asked because my idea is, no, always do more lore books. Do more and more of them constantly. I'm going to disagree with both of you, but there's only two reasons why I am disagreeing with both of you. (laughs) One of those is named Rathian. The other one is named Warlords of Draenor. Come on, guys. We need, like, way more exposition on what went down in Warlords. Like, there were so many questions during that expansion that were not answered. There were were so many things in there. Chronicle only answered so much out of Warlords, right? Yeah, it but we answered know we're like Dranor ancient history. It didn't answer what was going on while we were there, and there were questions that I had while we were there, like Garona. Was that our Garona, or was that an alternate? Was that Dranor Garona? And which Garona is it that was like working with the Rogue Order Hall in Legion? Like, 
What? <laughs> also, Kairos, come on. What was he up to? What was he doing? See, What's up and that with the one... Timeless Isle? <laughs> like, what's and, the story and, behind that place? <laughs> and that, I would not be upset if we got a novel. Yeah. But maybe not necessarily a chronicle. <sighs> I'm just saying, there's more material there, guys, if you wanted to crank that out. And I would gladly read it, and I don't think that I'm the only one. Anyway, if you have a question for Lore Watch, you can email that to podcast at blizzardwatch.com. Please be sure to put Lore Watch in the subject line so that we know that it's intended for the show. We'll be back in two weeks, and we will probably be talking about Chronicle Volume 3, because it'll be out by then. Yay! That's it for this episode of Lore Watch. Thanks, you guys, so much for listening, as always. And we will see you again in two weeks. 